Wow, there was a really, uh, really amazing time in worship this morning, team. Thank you so much. Um, the team actually, oh, thanks, Mark. The team actually got together on Tuesday this week to talk about some things in the band, and I think it's already, it's already paying fruit, Rob. Amazing. Well done. Thank you so much, guys. So, um, oh, look at that iPad stand. Look at that. So, the actual joke is that I left my iPad in PE this morning. I forgot it at home when I came through. And I only realized sort of 20 past eight this morning and I said, oh goodness, what now? And luckily, Rob has uh, allowed me to use his iPad. It's a lot more professional than mine. So I think I'm just going to keep this one. Is that okay? It's donated to the house of the Lord. Sowing into the kingdom, exactly. Sowing into the kingdom. But welcome everybody. It really is awesome to have you all joining us for church this morning. We begin a brand new series today that's tied into the outreach month, as we've called it, that I spoke about just now. Uh, This month of September that's geared towards stepping out and serving our community in some way, whether that's through social upliftment projects or making someone a cup of coffee or praying for someone. It's all been focused on building and growing the church, right? And so we've focused our attention um, on being the church as we step out. And so, you know, if you are here this morning as a result of someone that has done that, that's invited you to church, welcome. Well done. You've made a remarkable step in your spiritual journey. And we are going to do everything we can as the church to equip you and inspire you with the gospel of Jesus that we, we believe as Christians holds the, true to, holds the key to true spiritual fulfillment in life. It's a big introduction, lots of words. And you're like, I just came here to get some guidelines. How do I deal with my boss? They're difficult. Can you just address that? We have a prayer line for that after the service. No, I'm joking. Uh, But the fact that we are going to hopefully have a lot of new visitors to church this month, perhaps even with us for the whole month of September, we thought, why don't we share a series that speaks to the heart of who we are as Father's House? The heart of our ministry, what we feel called to do as a church. And that also is so central to the message uh, of the gospel that's taught in Scripture. We've actually got it up on our vision statement there. Uh, We've put it up on the wall. I mean, that's when you know it's serious, right? When the church puts the thing up on the wall, then it's serious. But it really serves as a reminder to help us uh, in what we do, that everything we do points towards that same vision. And so today we begin a brand new series simply called the Grace Series. And there's a reason behind the simplicity of, of, of the title, and we'll get to that in just a bit. But over the next few weeks, we'll be discovering together why grace is such a big deal. What, what, is the, what is the big deal about grace? And we want to share something on the power of grace with you that we hold so dearly and believe as Father's House Church that has radically changed our lives. Uh, and to that point, we'll actually be creating some intentional moments at the end of every service to pray for people who would like to receive God's grace in salvation for the first time. I'm warning you now up front already so you can start getting nervous for the rest of the message. Don't worry, something to get nervous about. But coming back to our vision, it's, you'll see that it's, we are called, we believe as a church, to awaken the world to the gift of salvation by grace. That's part one. And then part two is to express our faith and freedom in every sphere and season, which means that we don't just exist for ourselves as a people who have been blessed by God. We exist to be a blessing to others also. And so we want to look at how grace makes that possible. Let's discover what it is. And we might even get to some difficult or tricky questions in this series. Like, how can someone fall from grace? What does the Bible mean when it says falling from grace? Or what about things like, because there's nothing I can do to lose my salvation, supposedly, uh, can I just carry on doing whatever I want? 
That's also another question that we get posed often as a church. Like the famous one that people often ask in relationships, you know, um, how far is too far? Often get asked that question in relationships. This grace thing that you Christians are talking about is true, then why not? You know, why not? And so I want to look at some of those questions. I want to tackle some of them together as we gain a hold of a deeper understanding of this, of this really fundamental and really freeing principle of God's grace. We're going to look at what it is, what it isn't. That's also important. What it accomplishes and, and why it's so important. So if you are part of Father's House already, we hope that you will not only get a, a, a fresh revelation on what the grace of God means, but that you'll lean into that second part of the vision with, with us. Uh, and that you'll help us express our faith and freedom by inviting others to receive the same good news. Amen. So the title of our conversation this morning is The Economics of Grace. The Economics of Grace. Now, I know already some of us are going, I came to church to get away from economics. Um, I did not come out to hear about economics. Who remembers those economics tutorials that you never studied for in varsity? Anyone remember those? Or is it just me that's going to do some confession this morning? But as always, you know, what, what used to happen is five minutes before the tut would start, you'd find the cleverest guy in the classroom and then get their answers, you know? Am I, am I, am I just stepping on toes? Like, is this, okay, it's getting real here this morning. Well, that was just me anyway. And you guys are like, why does folk medie dwomini? He has no a stout, you know? Um, I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. We just keep it real here at church. And the lecturer, I still remember that, that look on their face when they see this guy that like barely made it through the semester test, finishes the tutorial in like three minutes. They're like, what happened to you between two weeks ago and now? I met a very clever guy from, from Asia who helped me. All right. Let's have a look at a key scripture together as we get started in this series. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. The title of this in your Bible, depending on which translation it, it uses, is, is called From Death to Life. So this is going to kind of form the key scripture, the basis of our series together. Let's, let's, let's have a look. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Very heavy opening statement, Lloyd. Um, but that is what the Bible says. In which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. So he's describing one kind of life that we used to live, right? According to the ruler of the power of the air, that's the enemy, that's the devil. The spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We did whatever we wanted to do. That's what he's saying. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, I'm going to do a series one day called The Butts of the Bible because there's a lot of them. And it's not the, that but, it's these buts, it's grammar. But, but God, but God. That was our present condition. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Oh man, there it is right there. He also raised us up with Jesus, uh, with him in the heavens, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ. And this is a verse that's often Quoted, it's often shared on social media and, and memes, and not, not memes, what are those things? Um, um, shorts, YouTube shorts. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from work, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. What an incredible passage of scripture. 
And uh, this is the reason for, for that title, The Economics of Grace, is actually a bit of a play on words in case you're wondering. Because this scripture sort of reveals to us that our initial understanding of grace is perhaps something completely opposite to how scripture describes it. It's got nothing to do with our works, should I say, our efforts. It's, it's far more got to do with something that Jesus did on our behalf, something about his efforts. And I guess this is where the inspiration for this series came from. You know, I feel like over the years in our spiritual journeys, we often accumulate a lot of rubble, a lot of unhealthy thinking, a lot of kind of dirt that settles on our minds. And I suppose one of the goals for this series is just to, to, to clear a lot of that up for us and just get back to what is the simplicity of the gospel that us as Christians hold so dearly. How do we just clear the air and land on this idea of, Let's experience, let's encounter God's grace in a real way again together. That'll be the goal of the series. Let's get back to the simple message of the gospel of Jesus, because that's literally what it is. And so I guess a good starting point as we begin this conversation to look at what the grace of God is and how it works is to start with some kind of a definition, right? What do, what do Christians mean when they say grace? What are we talking about? Uh, it's not something that you just say over a meal, of course, although we should be thankful for what we are about to receive. It's obviously much more significant than that. The Greek word for grace that's used in the New Testament, remember the New Testament was written in Greek, is the word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, charis. And that word charis can be defined as a gift or a blessing brought to man by Jesus, favor or gratitude and thanks. That's, that's the definition, that's what it means. And we see that definition in the person of Jesus. John 1 uh, chapter uh, John 1 verse 14 from the NET says this, the word, he's talking about Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the, only, as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So when we're talking about grace, we're not just talking about some kind of abstract concept. We're talking about a very real person, the person of Jesus. So you could say that grace is not an impersonal philosophy, it's a very personal reality. Grace is not an impersonal philosophy, it's a personal reality. Another definition puts it this way, grace is what every man needs, what none can earn, and what God alone freely gives. Grace is what every man needs, and woman, what no one can earn, and what God alone freely gives. So when it comes to defining it from a biblical perspective, a good kind of summary definition would be this. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is unmerited favor. It's undeserved blessing that we receive from another. That's what it is. And that's how the Bible describes it. It's something unmerited, undeserved, something that you couldn't earn by your own efforts. And that's extremely important as we begin the series. You know, read that in the context of our Ephesians key scripture and you very quickly begin to realize the starting point to our spiritual journeys, the starting point to a relationship with God is when the gift of God's grace is received into our lives, not when the level of our performance or ability is sent to him. That's extremely important. The starting point of our spiritual journeys, the, the, the foundation upon which we have a relationship with God is that we have received grace from him, not we sent our performance or ability up to him and said, God, would this be acceptable in your sight? 
that equation is very, very important. And I'm going to use a little analogy to help us unpack that idea. Think of it this way. Um, suppose that you are part of an under 9A sports team at school. Under 9s are in grade 1, grade 2. Help me, teachers. 3, 4. Okay. Suppose you're part of the uh, under 9 team, sports team at school. Let's use rugby. Uh, rugby fever is it. So, ladies, just work with me here. Suppose you're one of the players at an under nine rugby team at school and on the first day of training, the coach is like, okay guys, uh, in order to qualify for the team, for the sports team this year, you are going to have to complete this obstacle course that's set out before you on the field, right? And not only that, but you're going to have to complete it in under five minutes, okay? This obstacle course. It includes a 100 meter sprint, two laps in the swimming pool, um, a rope climb up a three-meter-high wall, and 10 sets of push-ups. And what's more is, if none of you complete this course in the required time, you're all going to detention for the whole year. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but if you've ever seen a, gr a group of under nines complete an obstacle course... <laughs> It doesn't exactly go very well. It's chaotic. There's running around. There's more chilling in the swimming pool than actually swimming in the swimming pool, right? I mean, this would be something of an impossibility, right? The obstacle course would be too difficult for them to complete, you see? And the under nines wouldn't be able to carry out this instruction. The set of requirements would be too high. So... You're in the team and you and you and you or in this group and you're running around and needless to say, after five minutes you hadn't even you know got it got out of the pool yet. And so once you've all failed, the coach rallies you all together and says, "Right, none of you made it. The course was too hard, so there's no way any of you are getting into the sports team this year because of your performance. You failed miserably, and because you weren't over, over, uh, able to overcome the obstacle in your own ability under not for not fulfilling." the course requirements. And just as you are ready to accept defeat and walk away all dejected and go, think of what are you going to tell your parents when you're in detention for the whole year? The coach says, but while you're in the pool, swimming around, aimlessly trying to get to the other side, the captain of the under 18A team came by. He walked by and he looked at this chaos and he said to the coach what's what's going on here what's wrong with these under nines and he said well they're trying to complete this course they can make it to the team and he said well what if I do the course what if I do the course for them so he did he ran the sprint 15 seconds or whatever he swam the two laps minute and a bit he did the rope climb he did the 10 push-ups all in the required five minutes and he said to the coach you know what look at my performance instead of theirs. You were accepted into the team because the captain satisfied the requirements on your behalf. And what's more, even although you should have still gone to detention because none of the people in the group were able to complete it, he's offered to go there for you for the whole year even though he was the one that did what was right, even though he completed the course in the required time, he took the punishment for your mistake so you could go free. That is what grace does. That is grace, friends. 
you're right, you shouldn't have got into the team based on your ability. But the coach, God, instead looked at the captain's performance and said, welcome in. You're chosen. See, friends, grace rushes into you. It rushes to meet you no matter what it is that you've done or haven't done. And it places you in a position that you should never be in. And it placed someone else in a position that they should have never been in. (laughs) That's why the grace of God is not only us getting what Jesus deserved, but it's Jesus getting what we deserved. Jesus should have got entrance into the team. Just stick with my analogy. We should have been in detention. But we got the entrance and he got detention. Death on the cross. For our missing the mark. Romans 3 puts it this way. One of the most important and powerful verses in the whole of the, in the, in the, whole of the Bible. There's another one. But, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, without completing the obstacle course, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We couldn't, requ- we couldn't complete that course in the required time. Yet God, in his grace, freely made us right in his sight. How did he do this? He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. He freed us from having to go to that detention for the whole year, which we know is sin and death. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. The grace of God, which is the vehicle by which we have been saved, is not something you can earn in your own efforts, friends. It's something that we receive as a gift based on someone else's efforts. There's nothing we can do to add to it. There's nothing we can do to take away from it. And it's not any more complicated than that. That's why we've simply called it the Grace Series. The message of the gospel of grace is as straightforward and powerful as that. Here, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross on behalf of sinners, it's the greatest act of love the world has ever known. There was nothing we could do to secure our salvation. We were under nines, trying to complete an obstacle course called life that was way too difficult for us. The obstacles of our sin were way too much, but yet, through faith in what the captain did, Jesus, on our behalf, we're in. We're considered part of the family. We get to skip detention and enjoy the fellowship of the family. God is saying, I'm not looking at your efforts for acceptance. I'm looking at Christ's efforts for your acceptance. And here's the thing about grace, according to that verse in Romans. There would be no need for the grace of God if there were not this problem of sin that we faced as humanity. There would be no need for the captain to take our place if all of us completed the course, right? And I guess, you know, you could say that we don't, you know, we all know that we fall short of the standard. Uh, you don't need a pastor to tell you that you, you make mistakes. We do things that we shouldn't. Our own consciences tell us that for ourselves. And I think so many churches over the last, I don't know how many years, have, have maybe been too heavily focused on telling people what they've been doing wrong, Right? instead of focusing on what Jesus did right, 
Because that's the second part of the story. We can't always just focus on, you, you know, you weren't good enough and you failed at this and you did better. Can anyone relate to that, been in that sort of environment? But yet, this is the, the, the second part is verse 24 of Romans 3. Jesus did it for you. Christ accomplished what we could never do. The, the, the sin part is one part of the story, but the salvation through Christ is the bigger part of the story. Amen? And that separation between you and God, that's what sin is. It's separation between us and God. That existed there. And that's where the grace of God shone in. That's exactly where he met you. God closed the gap between where we are and where we should be through the person and through the work of Jesus Christ. You could say that the very real problem of sin caused the very real need for grace. The very real problem of Romans 3.23 caused the very real solution of Romans 3.24. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 words it like this. It says, God made the one who did not know sin. Jesus finished that course perfectly. But God made him who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we, so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. Man, that's a powerful verse. God made Jesus who did it perfectly, the perfect sinless man, son of God, God made him to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It was a divine exchange that took place when the coach said to the captain, all right, you go to detention so that they could be free and they could enjoy their lives as free people. And see, so here's the thing. Um, when it comes to this sort of foundational question of grace, is it okay if we tackle one of those questions that I spoke about at the beginning as we sort of wrap up week one? Uh, I'll pose the question. And then we'll look at one equation, just one equation this morning. I've had a bit of flu, so I'm not feeling as anointed as Pastor George, who has three points. I've just got one point this morning. I'm going to pose a question, look at one equation that helps us understand the answer to that, to that question. And then we're going to unpack it over the next couple of weeks. Are you with me? Is that okay? So here's the question that we often get asked as, as, as a church, as, as pastors, because this is you know, really why we exist as Father's House, is to create this this obstacle-free space for people to experience the gospel of Jesus. Here's the question. If I'm justified with God, right, through faith, if, if that's how I'm made right with Him, if that's how I'm connected through this, this grace that's in Jesus, and if there was nothing I could do in my own efforts to earn my salvation, I think I may have got the question on the screen. If there was nothing I could do in my own efforts to earn my salvation and to receive this forgiveness for my sin, why then can I not just carry on doing whatever it is that I was doing? If it was not up to my performance to get into the team, right? What difference does it make how I behave while I'm there? If it's all about what Jesus did, if it's all about grace, if it's all about his performance and not mine, what difference does it make to my life, to my enjoyment of the world right now if I just carry on doing what I'm doing? Can't I just do whatever I want to do? And I guess it's a fair question, you know, it, 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 it makes sense to ask it from the perspective of eternal security, right, and my enjoyment of life right now. I understand where it comes from. If my eternity is secure because of what Christ did, what does it matter what I do before then? And you see, that's exactly where the distinction lies. That's exactly where the difference lies. It's in the equation of salvation and sanctification. That's the difference. That's the key. Are you guys ready for your word of the day this morning? Uh, when I, whenever I talk to some of my friends, I ask them for, give me an Afrikaans word for the day. Give me, give, me, give me my word for the day. And I've had some great ones. 
I really struggle to pronounce all of them, but I'm working at it. So bear with me, church. But this is your, this is your, this is your biblical word for the day. Are you guys ready? Sanctification. What does it mean? It simply means set apart for holiness. It means set apart. You are set apart from an old way of living for a holy purpose. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus for a heavenly and a holy purpose. You're being renewed day by day in the image of the one who made you, who saved you. Does that make sense? You could put it this way. You were saved once for salvation by Christ Jesus. You are continuously being saved or sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You were saved once in a moment by Christ Jesus. That's all his performance. That's all because of what he did for you. You are being saved. You are being sanctified, set apart on a, on, on a daily basis by the Holy Spirit. And that's where the difference lies. You see, I don't try to be a better person so that I can get saved. It's because I am saved that makes me want to be a better person. Can you say amen to that? I'm not doing things so that I can get accepted by God. It is because I am accepted by God through Christ Jesus that I want to do certain things. I don't want to live the old version of me. I don't want to do the old things that I used to do. My salvation in Christ makes me want to be a better person. Can we get practical for a moment? If we're saying we're sanctified, we're set apart, we're set apart from anger to peace. We're set apart from jealousy to generosity. We're set apart from earthly language to heavenly language. It's a process. We're being sanctified from pride to humility. We are being sanctified from a life of sin to a life led by the Spirit. We are being sanctified. Can you say amen to that this morning, church? The one part of the equation, the, sal the salvation part, that was purchased for me on my behalf by Jesus. Conditional only upon me receiving God's gift. Because we have free will, right? We have this option to choose to accept what the captain did for us on our behalf. The other part, the sanctification part, that is conditional upon how well I surrendered to the one that purchased the first part for me. My salvation is conditional only upon me accepting the free gift. My sanctification, my being set apart for holiness, that's conditional upon how well I surrender to the one that purchased my salvation for me. And that's what produces the new creation in me, the Christ-like version of me, the best possible version of who I am. That's the person that's continually being sanctified by the work of the Spirit. So here's the thing, you know, I don't do certain things because I'm worried or scared that I'm going to, you know, miss out on earthly enjoyment. I don't do certain things because I don't want to miss out on heavenly rewards. That's the difference. <laughs> I don't not do things on earth because I'm, you know, scared of missing out. I don't do things because I don't want to miss out on heavenly rewards. The reason you don't partake in certain things is not because you're scared of losing your salvation. That was done independent of your performance. And by the way, that would be a very low level of motivation, right? Fear. Anyone ever told a young person, you know, don't do something out of fear? Fear never produced a lasting change in anybody anyway. But the reason I don't partake in things is because I have said yes to eternal sanctification. 
And I don't want to take anything away from the heavenly version of my life that God has created for me. I don't want to take away anything from that. So, back to that marriage question. How far is too far in relationships? Well, how much do you want to take away from the heavenly created, the God-inspired version of marriage that he had for you? That's the question. I'm not motivating somebody out of fear of losing salvation. That never worked. I'm instead creating an invitation to step into that sanctification, that purifying, that holy-making journey and saying yes to a heavenly destiny that God had in mind for me. I don't want to take away anything from what God has designed for me to receive. Amen? And uh, I want to just, I want to close with one more verse. Is that okay? Do we lay a little bit of a foundation this morning in terms of this grace concept? I know it's been quite a few terms and quite a few things, but I hope it just painted a little bit of a picture. I've got one more verse that I want to leave with you this morning that I guess summarizes all of this so well for us. And I mean, the Bible is just, it's so, it's so applicable. It's so real to every situation that we might face. Look at how, look at how Romans chapter six, probably the greatest uh, exposition or, or, or discussion on this difference between grace and law in anywhere, found anywhere in the whole Bible. This is Paul, the first theologian, right? The first Christian theologian. This is what he says. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Pause there for a moment. That's what sin does, right? Wants to make you its slave. Feel like you have to keep obeying it. And so he's saying there's two things. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. The under nines, we couldn't, we couldn't do that course. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? <laughs> How's that for a great question? What fruit was that producing? What benefit did that old way of living give you? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification. There it is. And its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What an amazing passage of scripture. What an incredible promise that we have. That when we still failed at that course, Jesus said, it's okay. I'll take, that, I'll take that punishment for you. You go free. I'll sit in attention. You go free. And he's created in us a new creation, a new way of doing things that is not motivated by fear. It's not motivated by works of the law. It's motivated by the grace of God that's revealed in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit does that. He whispers in your ear. He says, you know what? Just before you use that language, just remember again, you've been, you've been set free. You're not a slave to sin anymore. You're a slave to righteousness. Slave means you're under its leadership, right? Just before you do that business deal in that way or handle your spouse or treat your spouse or that person in whom you are in a relationship with that way, just remember, you're sanctified. You're set apart. I'm not motivated to live godly because I'm scared of losing my salvation. I'm motivated to live godly because that is the design that God has for me. And that's what brings out the best version of who I am. That's my new nature. 
Paul literally says, and we're going to touch more on this next week in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Friends, we are a new creation, and it starts by receiving the grace of God. Can you say amen to that this morning, church? Would you mind standing with me for a moment as we wrap up in a word of prayer? Thanks so much, Rob. So um, I said at the beginning of this message that we are going to create a moment at the end of our service for anyone that would like to receive this free gift of salvation for the first time. You know, it kind of goes with that conversation in that, you know, we don't get born again, again and again and again every time we sin. No, we receive salvation once. Our salvation is secure. It's based on what Christ has done. We do, of course, you know, like the Bible says, confess uh, confess our sins and turn from them. But that's not for salvation. That's for sanctification. That's this purification process that happens often. But we're going to take a moment and just pray for that first category of people. Someone who perhaps hasn't yet said yes to the Lord for the for the very first time. And this is happening across all Father's House churches, I think, over this month. And it would really be our honor just to stand alongside you and, and help you pray this prayer. It's a very, very simple prayer. It's literally just a prayer of confessing and receiving. That's all it is. And it's between you and God and and us as a church, we, we would love to stand alongside you and support you as you make this commitment. It is the most incredible thing you will do. You're saying yes to eternity with Jesus. You're saying yes to a future that is designed for you by heaven. It's designed for you by heaven and that is a good place to be. So church, if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes with me and just bowing your heads just as a way of honoring this moment and giving people space that are going to be saying yes to this call this morning. If that is you, if you're here for the first time and I've been there, I know exactly what it's like. You feel like your heart's racing and your palms are all sweaty and you're not sure, what am I doing? Is this right? Is the wrong thing to do? Just take a moment and relax. You are here for a divine purpose. It's no mistake that you're here this morning. And there is no better day to say yes to God than right now. And you know, you know that you've tried to do things in your own strength and they haven't, they haven't worked. And this morning, we're giving everyone the opportunity to say yes to Him in a new way. And so that it, if that is you, if you want to say, you know what, Lord, please come into my life. Just come into my life and help me. Take away my sin, make me new. Would you mind just raising your hand just long enough for me to see it? All the other eyes are closed. All the heads are bowed. It's just between you and God. And I'm just going to pray with you right where you are. Thank you so much. This is... This is why we do church. <laughs> to awaken the world to the gift of salvation. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down, everybody. And it's a very, very simple prayer. It's, in fact, we don't even have a model of it in Scripture. But it's just a prayer that we believe helps us understand the concept. And I'm going to ask you, if you raised your hand, just right where you are, just to pray this prayer out loud, if that's okay. And church, if you wouldn't mind just praying this prayer as well, just in support of those who did raise their hand this morning. It's a very simple prayer. We're just going to stand alongside them and cheer them on as they receive salvation for the first time. Amen. So all I want you to do is just pray these simple words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit today I make mistakes. I've gone my own way, done my own thing. Today, I turn and face you. Help me, Jesus. Forgive me, Lord. And Holy Spirit, help me walk this out every day. I make you Lord. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Church, could we give God one more shout of praise and worship and adoration this morning? It's, this is why we do church, man. This is, this is what we're here for. We want to walk this journey with you. And we don't want you just to have, you know, having prayed this prayer now, be not sure what to do and, and, and not know how to figure it out. We want to walk this road with you. So please come and chat to us after the service. I'll be up here right, uh, right out front with some of our team. There's also a hello card, as I mentioned, which you can just put your name and number down and I'll contact you during the week and give you some resources and have a conversation with you, whatever it is. But we want you to know that there's no better place to figure this journey out than right here at church. We're not being saved for isolation. We've been saved into community. Amen. And we want to support you in every way that we can. So there'll be opportunities for that. Otherwise, church, thank you so much for being part of this morning with us. Please stick around for a cup of coffee. Look forward to seeing you on Wednesday evening for Grow Groups. If you're keen, midweek community. Otherwise, Saturday at the beach cleanup. Thank you so much for being part of church this morning, everyone. And have a blessed rest of your week. Thank you, everyone. God bless. Thank you.